Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make Yes, well, we do think we can make it better because of the Holy Spirit living in us and uh, because of the opportunities that that God creates uh, wherever he puts us. And uh, that's how I love this show, because I love to talk with uh, different people about how they uh, represent the truth wherever they are in the world and, and mostly we we like to talk about people in the marketplace and uh and our guest uh, tonight is a perfect example of that uh, i first heard about peggy um i be- i was trying to place it but i think it was maybe a very a special uh abc uh documentary on on the columbine or one of the shootings and uh, and it was very moving uh, what I saw. And then I found out later she was a Christian, which uh, was actually pretty obvious in in what I saw. And whenever I see a Christian in a secular environment standing sticking out <laughs> like a sore thumb, I just go, "Yeah, that's great." I get so excited, and uh, those are the people we love to have on our show. So Peggy's still doing that, uh, although it's taken different forms over the years. Um, so we'll find that. I'm getting way ahead of myself. We'll find all about that. Please welcome to The Catch on Blog Talk Radio, uh, Peggy Waymeyer. Welcome, Peggy. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um uh, we were reminiscing a little bit um, earlier, Peggy. Tell tell me, uh, tell everybody how we first met. <laughs> well, you probably don't remember that meeting because there were hundreds, <laughs> maybe several thousand people there. But I was in college at the University of Texas, and I had kind of a dramatic conversion and gave up my partying some kind of trip I was supposed to go on to go to a campus crusade for Christ, which is now called crew, a big conference up in Colorado and everything was new to me. And some guy named John Fisher got up on the stage with a guitar and sang a song called uh, love him in the morning. Actually, it was like, I don't know if that's the name of it, but the words to that song and those moments when you sang with that guitar really marked me. I, I've never forgotten the song. It, it, it kind of branded me. I sing it to my children, and or I sang it to my children, and now to my grandchildren. And uh, it, it was kind of my conversion song. So uh, um, you're kind of, God used you in a special way in my life. And now that you've made me tell that story, you're going to have to sing for your audience the first verse of that, I think. 
Oh well, the chorus, and and I have to tell you the 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 thing I've done with some of our at least our uh, our church crowd and the Wednesday night Bible study crowd is uh, the chorus takes exactly twenty seconds to sing, which is how long you're supposed to wash your hands. So the idea is. Oh. <laughs> When you start to wash yes. your hands, you go love them in the morning when you see the sun rising. Love them in the evening because he took you through the day. And in the in-between time when you feel the pressure coming, remember that he loves you and he promises to stay. 20 seconds. Oh, <laughs> that's, uh, well, I'm going to start singing it now when I wash my hands. Yeah, you, it's, it's such great. a great song. Yeah. yeah. Well, Peggy. That's um, how we met. That's how we first. Well, I don't know is. if I met you, but that's how I remember you. Yeah, of course. So, that, yeah, I'm excited I didn't about what you. you're doing now. And No, yeah. I, I don't think you did. But, but we've but talked I, since then once about uh, your writing, mm-hmm. I think, because we're both mm-hmm. writers. And, um, and so now we're going to talk about something similar. Yeah, tell me a little bit just about your story. I mean, if you can bring us up to the present, uh, I know, that, give us the short version. But uh, yeah, I know okay. when I first heard about you, you were doing uh, network, uh, I believe, with ABC. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I went, I went from the University of Texas straight to a seminary in Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary. Went to seminary oh. for a while and then felt like I was um, – I was writing and doing some speaking, but I really felt a strong burden to be in the secular world and talking about spiritual things to people who didn't understand them. So I went straight into television, which was kind of a miraculous shift. I went into a major market television station, the ABC affiliate in Dallas, and got a job there on the very lowest rung and worked my way up pretty quickly to being a reporter. And so I was a reporter for 13 years, made mostly covering religion and culture in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then, uh, for those of you who remember, it's so weird even saying remember because he's so real to me, even though he's not living anymore. Peter Jennings, who was the anchor man for ABC News, World News Tonight in New York, called me one day and said, hey, can you do what you're doing for our affiliate in Dallas for the country at ABC in New York? And um, that was a huge change of life, but I did it. I had two small kids. I was married with small children. I stayed in Dallas and pretty much flew to where the stories were. I argued that New York was not the center of the universe, but Dallas was more central, so I could meet my producers in different parts of the country. So I did that for about seven and a half years, John, and you're right. I, my job was to really tell stories of where religion and faith intersected the news. And people, some people would say, well, because it was the first time any television network had launched a religion beat. And people would say, why do we need to cover religion? That's so personal. I'm like, really? Talk about prayer in school, talk about Supreme Court, talk about health, talk about school, you know, politics, religion intersected every area of our cultural and social life in America. Mm-hmm. So I was sent out on all these stories. And so when the Littleton massacre happened, yeah, there happened to be, uh, some of you might remember, Cassie Bernal was shot and killed and her parents wanted to talk to me because they thought I would understand them. 
And uh, when the McCoy septuplets were born, that was a while back. You remember that? We did an hour special on Primetime Live, and they wanted to speak to the religion reporter. Um, I interviewed Bill Clinton about his faith in the White House and George Bush and Muhammad Ali. And just I could go on and on. I had an incredible uh, career of telling people's stories and telling Americans how faith intersects life with life in America. Uh, and Peggy, then I went on after that to go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we could talk about this at any point along the way, but I, I thought I'd just mm-hmm. stop right when you're, you know, in this period of time when you were very visible, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What, what are some of the things you learned uh, uh, about how to do that? And, uh, you know, uh, how do you, did you sound like an evangelical? Did you use all the words that no. evangelicals use in church? Or how did you do that? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> I, I wasn't a, uh, I don't know how to say it. I, I, I wasn't supposed to be a Christian reporter. I was supposed to be a great journalist. And I happened to be a Christian. So being a Christian and a great journalist means you are fair and objective. You don't spin news. You don't have an agenda. Um, my agenda was to shine a light on truth um, wherever it was and to, in any news story, make sure the listeners got to hear the best representation of each side of a story. So sometimes Christians would say, man, we saw you nodding and smiling when you interviewed that Muslim. Were you faking it? And I'm like, no. It would be sin for me to be biased or to be unfair to a side. If I just, if I allowed, if Christians were involved in a story and I told their story well and allowed them to speak their strongest truth, that wasn't being done at all. So um, that's what I tried to do, but I was also fair to the other side. And I think my, the best the way you measured whether you're doing a good job as a journalist is whether you get hate mail, equal hate mail on both sides. <laughs> and actually, John, when people, when people would say to me, but what, where do you stand? Where do you believe that was a compliment? So, uh, because it, it, for, for, again, my highest calling as a journalist was to be a great journalist and to tell the stories that weren't being told and to tell them well. Does that make sense? So oh, I was yeah. very careful very careful and the hardest battles were in the newsroom or among my colleagues who always thought I had an agenda they knew I was a Christian I never hid my face I I mean I didn't go around uh, preaching in the newsroom but I talked about my beliefs as much as anybody else did I wanted to be careful not to be ashamed or embarrassed I was an anomaly Uh, they thought I was weird and uh, (laughs) so I, I I had to really one of the ways I was a witness or tried to wit- to be a Christian in the midst of a very secular environment was to be the very best at what I did, to be mm. to be above reproach in every way. And then you get a hearing. Then you build relationships of respect and trust. And when I talked about my faith, I was respected. Wow. That's terrific. Uh, yeah, thank you. Can you can you give us a maybe a story from from that period of time? 
in your life something one one of the moments that really stands out for you or one of the coverages that you did? Oh, you know, I often get asked that question, and I do <laughs> so many stories that I I, I should have a list of some of my favorites. I think, um, you know, people would ask me who's the most famous person you interviewed, and that's one kind of answer. But in terms mm-hmm. of who moves you the most, it was often the most common uh, on celebrity like people whose faith struck me people who would be in in the middle of a you know coming out of a terrible plane crash or some huge news story and you'd meet these people with such profound faith Um, and there were many of them but in terms of big stories that uh, I remember well obviously going to the White House and interviewing presidents and getting to talk to the biggest leader in the world about their faith and how it does or doesn't affect their governing or their work Mm -hmm. in the white house. That was um, quite a privilege. Um, Mm. When I would interview to be able to talk to newsmakers challenge, but question, well, what would God say to you in this situation? Or what do you, um, how do you live out your faith in this work? Uh, it, it, it was an it was an amazing opportunity, but I there there are just so many stories, John. Some happy, some tragic. Mm-hmm. I was at mm-hmm. the Wedgwood Baptist Church shootings here. Remember when at the Baptist Church in Fort Worth, where people came in and shot yeah. up the congregation? That was mm-hmm. horrible. Um, but in the aftermath of it, you interview. I had the opportunity to be there and interview people whose faith had really given them meaning and purpose in life after this, or the Delta 191 huge plane crash in Dallas. Uh, Because I knew the chaplain at the Dallas Fort Worth airport, I was the one reporter allowed in with the survivors in the airport after the crash. I'll never forget that because I felt like Mm. I had been in the crash because everybody was describing it and I was seeing their home videos. And um, so I did a lot of things like that. Oh, yeah, it was it was quite a job. I should have brought my story list out so I could have recounted some yeah. for you that you might be interested in. Well, that's okay. But you yeah. you must have done a good job because uh, they kept you there for what did you say seven years in in uh, doing yeah the, almost eight years at, at ABC national yeah yeah yep. mm-hmm. yep. great I was there that was a long time as as long as I wanted to be there I was very ready to move on it. it it's a battleground in a way for um, for n- not just for a Christian, but for a Christian covering religion. You can see why it would be a double whammy. It's kind of like we're, what we're hearing right now with this um, President Trump's new Supreme Court nominee. She's mm-hmm. a judge who's supposed to be completely impartial, as judges are, and she has this profound faith. And so people are challenging her, right? And critiquing Mm -hmm. her and saying, how can she be a fair judge? And I really resonate with that because people would say that to me. I remember once being kind of surrounded in my newsroom uh, with some senior reporters back when I was in my twenties and they hadn't had a religion reporter ever in the local TV either. And one of the guys said to me, do you go to church on Sunday? And I said, well, yes, I do. In fact, I even teach fourth grade Sunday school. And they all jumped on it like, then how can you cover religion? You're obviously biased. You can't cover religion if you go to church. And I looked at one of them 
<laughs> God must have given me the words. But I instantly said, wait a minute, did you vote in the last election? And yes, I did. I said, well, then how come you're covering that candidate as a reporter? You shouldn't be able to do any political reporting. Or did you cover the abortion uh, story last week when you're an avid pro-choice person? Isn't that an opinion? It's not. So I would constantly have to educate my Mm -hmm. colleagues that the fact that you have faith and certain beliefs doesn't um, disqualify you from being a smart, talented, fair reporter any more than if you have other beliefs. Just, Mm -hmm. I mean, people have all kinds of beliefs and they're like religions in a way, you know, Mm. they should have been glad that my religion taught me to be fair and biased, unbiased. But, oh, that's but that's great. a hard sell. Yeah, 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 that's great. Well, bring us, okay, so bring us uh, up to what you're doing now. Well, what I'm doing now, I've I've crossed over to the dark side <laughs> in journalism. <laughs> it's kind of a joke. Um, most people know that there are two sides of a newspaper, or, or mostly newspapers, and that's the editorial and news, and there's supposed to be a very big wall of separation between news reporting and the editorial page. And as we all know, there's a lot of talk about how journalism has changed, how newspapers have changed, how polarized it's become, and how there's Mm -hmm. no longer this great divide between editorial and uh, news. So in all of my years as a journalist, all of my training was in news reporting, which meant I, if I ever had a conflict of interest, if I ever felt so strongly that I could only believe one thing or wouldn't listen to the other side, I would have to remove myself from the story, which I would have. But editorial is just the opposite. You get to tell the story from your perspective. So I never did that in my 20, 30 years of reporting. And then leaving my career, I did some speaking and lo and behold, in the audience was the publisher of the Dallas Morning News who walked up to me and said, we'd like you to, we'd like your voice in the city. We'd like you to be an op-ed writer. And I thought, I'll never do that. I'll never say what I believe publicly like that. That goes against all my training, all of my history as a journalist. I tell other people's stories. And if they're stories about faith, they're other people's stories about faith. And uh, he nudged for a long time, for weeks, maybe a few months. Mm -hmm. And uh, I prayed about it a lot. And one morning I got up and I felt like God just put this story on my heart to write. I thought, this will show him. He'd never want this in the newspaper. It's not at all what he was thinking about. It's not about politics or it's not some heavy, serious social issue. I wrote about giving up nagging my husband for Lent. (laughs) (laughs) it was this piece that I felt and I'm not a big nag it was kind of a that the title they gave it the headline that wasn't my real title but it was about marriage and Lent and what if I gave up ever trying to control another person including Mm. my husband and um so I I wrote it in an unusual way and and I sent it to him saying Oh, you want to see what I would write about? If I could write, here's an example. You'd never use this. Well, they published it. And uh, (laughs) there I went and I started. I've been writing op-ed pieces ever since for the Washington Post, the New York Times. 
the Wall Street Journal and the Dallas, my home paper, the Dallas Morning News. And it's been the last couple of years, almost three years that I've been doing that now. And I mean, what an, it's been so exciting because I get to write about who I really am and what I really believe. It's taken me a while to allow myself the freedom to do that and not think I'm mm-hmm. doing something wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah. it's it's been really cool and I've loved it. And I, I, I don't work really for anyone with a deadline except for the Lord. So I get to kind of see what he puts on my heart and what I should be writing about. Um, and I write when I feel led to write. Oh, that's nice. So it's not like you, you have to come up with nope. something every week or anything like that. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't want to do that. I didn't go to work for anybody. I decided uh, if I was going to do this, I wanted to do it as I sensed God's leading and as news events came up, if I felt like I needed to speak about them. So, for example, I wrote, I've written a lot about the evangelical faith and my family and the changes. I've written about um, when the Kavanaugh hearings came up a year or so ago, I wrote that. I wrote a unique piece about that. When there was an attack on the synagogue in Pittsburgh, do you remember? I wrote Mm -hmm. about um, how I felt about that as a Christian because my mother was a um, survivor of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. And my father was an anti-Semitic racist. Mm. So I wrote mm. what it was like being raised in, in that kind of schizophrenic world. Wow. I've written Advent and Easter, what it means to me. I've written a number of pieces about COVID and social distancing and how it impacted my family. Mm. Um, I've written about abortion coverage and how unbalanced it is. And mm. I've written about suicide because I've had uh, suicide in my life and my family. So I write about, I've written about being widowed. I've hmm. written about um, this election coming up, which is uh, a tough one to write about because I'm not really that political of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've written the, my latest, the latest piece was a national piece just about the struggle as a Christian to um, how we belong to the revolu- uh, our own revolution, which is Jesus, and that whatever is happening politically, our first responsibility to the Lord as Christians is to measure any movement, any political philosophy, any party against the kingdom of God and, and um, how difficult that becomes when obviously each, each party, Democrats and Republicans, have parts of them that would align with the teachings of Jesus and parts of them that are, um, what's the word I can find? It's not so basic as terrible, just terrible. Like there's no way. And Mm -hmm. and just this, so I wrote a personal opinion piece on the struggle I was having. I mean, every, every election is, is a lesser of two evils for all of us. Um, This one as, as, everybody knows is particularly difficult. And um, I wrote about why that was so. Hmm. And, hmm. and right now I'm thinking about, I'm praying about and writing some on um, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, just because I hmm. relate to her, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And I don't know everything about her. And I'm not saying I'm for or against her. I'm just neutrally saying 
it's fascinating to me that this unusual woman with seven children and a profound faith, when people attack her for her faith, I rise up and say, wait a minute. So I'm trying to write to the world in a way of look at it this way. Look at it through this prism. Let me show you in my life how this worked. So, yes, maybe I went to a church that uh, had people called elders. Well, that's a dangerous thing. Or I went to a church where we had accountability groups. That's dangerous. What is what? <laughs> how do I explain that to people who are um, writing mm-hmm. about her in a way that, well, I'll tell you an example I might put in the piece. I remember when the McCoy supplets, every network in America was trying to get the exclusive one hour special on these seven babies being born. And um, they would send out the heavy hitters, the big anchor people to this town in Iowa to try to convince the parents to give the interview to us. And Connie Chung was a famous, our, one of our big anchors. And nobody could get to this family because they were very, very conservative Christians and they didn't trust the media. Imagine that. And so whenever something like that would happen, the, uh, the big wigs on the fifth floor at ABC would say, don't we have that religious woman at World News Tonight? Don't we have that Christian? Couldn't, doesn't she speak their, isn't she bilingual? Doesn't she speak their language? Send her with Connie to get the story, right? So I went with the team, ABC team, to Iowa to try to convince these people that we were um, the right network to do it with, that we would understand their religious beliefs. And I remember sitting in a Denny's-like restaurant at this big table with Kenny and Bobby McCoy, and I had coached Connie Chung ahead of time on how to talk to them. And I was going to help with the story, but... And uh, they were listening to her as they had to the other networks. And then she said the wrong thing. She suddenly said, I want you to know, we really are going to let you talk about your religion. And we will even shoot pictures of your religious rituals. And I just thought, we lost it. We lost the interview, religious rituals. That's like a cult. That's like satanic. Uh We don't do rituals. And sure enough, uh, They called, their their agent called and said, uh, we're not going to go with Connie Chung, but we want to go with the person who was with her, Peggy Waymeyer, the other reporter. <laughs> and the executives at the network said, how, how could that be possible? And one of them said to me, what do you Christians do anyway? Seances in the basement together? <laughs> and I and this reminds me this 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 was recalled to me in my mind as I'm reading all these articles about Judge Barrett. Like, what is this weird? And it is fair to ask, what is this group people of praise? But I mean, it doesn't mean it's dangerous or bad. Just because you don't understand the language or you don't understand why people speak in tongues or. Um, hold each other accountable or live in community. So I may write about that. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. That's what I do now. Yeah. Um, Okay. Create more understanding. Wonderful. This is great, Peggy. Uh, We only have a few minutes left. Can, can you talk a little bit about language and how important that is? We, we discussed that just a little bit earlier. Yes. Yeah. Let me, I've been thinking about it lately. In the story of the day of Pentecost, when the flames of tongues came down on all these people and and, um, the Christians were able to speak in all these different languages, 
which was being filled with the Spirit. I read something recently that really struck me, that it wasn't just that they were speaking in tongues and speaking different languages. What was powerful is that all these people who came from around Israel and and different areas to Jerusalem, they were like little clans, and they didn't trust all the people who spoke languages they didn't know. They didn't think anyone saw them or heard them or knew them. But when the Christians spoke in their language, it was like they said, oh, they know me. They see me. I'll listen to them. Mm. And that's kind of how I think of my work, which is do the hard work, Peggy, of learning the language of the people you're speaking to and translating mm. your faith into a language these people can understand. That's how you gain act to uh, being really understood, because the wider the gap grows between the secular culture and the Christian faith, and it's wider than it's ever been in my lifetime. Maybe it was this wide in the first century and many mm-hmm. times since, but it's really rough now. Nobody speaks our language. We, I can't pull out of four spiritual laws anymore. I, I mean, people don't even, when you, you'll write in your phone something like the word salvation or hell or repentance, and it doesn't even, it auto-corrects into some word it doesn't even know. That's how unfamiliar some of these words are. <laughs> I'm always amazed at that. Like, nobody knows this word. So we have to change our language. Wow. Yeah. Which means we have to listen and learn. Lots of of listening. Lots. That's a great. Lots of listening with our mouths shut until we have prayed and waited for the Lord to prompt us to speak. And I don't (laughs) mean tongues, Mm -hmm. tongues. I'm not saying you shouldn't speak in tongues. I don't speak in tongues, but to speak in the language of the people God has, mm-hmm. um, the people you've befriended or come to understand. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's, that, that is a good word for all of us. All of your words have been really good, especially for, um, our place in the world. And, uh, how we can walk alongside people and, uh, and, and learn to love them and uh, not, not have to get them to think exactly the way we think, but uh, be right. able to have a real relationship with them. Uh, this has been Absolutely. so helpful. Thank you. Well, Thank thanks, you. John. It was fun words. to talk with you. Yeah, you got Yeah, any- my last word. <laughs> I have one last word. Okay. I have one last word. A lot of us are saying how difficult these times are and how awful everything is between, but from COVID to the election to the media to racism, all these terrible things. And I would be despairing if I didn't wake up every morning and say, Lord, what a privilege that I got to be born into this. What a challenge and opportunity. How are you going to use us in these very dark days to carry your light? There's never been more opportunity as now when it's so dark to shine light. So we need to be excited as believers, not just in our own families where there's discord and difference to listen and bring light, but in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Why were we chosen for this time? It's no accident. There's something for you to do. There's some reason 
you, this is your time. Wow. Ooh, that's fantastic. Peggy, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you, John. And thanks, uh, we'll and thanks for singing that, that chorus yeah. for me. Oh, thanks so well. Yeah, pray for yeah. my pieces. That'd be great. Yeah, we're all finding where our niches are and where we're to yeah. speak the truth in love. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, you take care. And uh, okay, you we'll too, John. For, we'll look for your articles. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, how about that, everybody? That's thank you, Ray Meyer. And uh, give us a helpful perspective on uh, being in the world. Um, so, uh, tell your friends about this show, listen to it again. Um, yeah, I think you can hear this one a few times. And, uh, and join us next week for uh, another great guest on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, thank you so much. Remember, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the catch. And you can hear there, um, or you're probably already there right now. Uh, you can just scroll down, and uh, I think we've got, oh my gosh, I don't know, a couple hundred um, uh, podcasts available there with Tony Campolo and Oz Guinness and, and uh, Leonard Sweet, Frank Schaefer. I mean, we've got every, some amazing, amazing interviews. So, and uh, this one in my book was one of the best. So, thank you so much. We will see you next week. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.